Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Sermon Series. สวัสดีครับยินดีต้อนรับสู่บทเทศนาของบท Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. And here's this week's sermon. We hope you enjoy it too. And as a church, well, for, that means for us there are no activities or meals on Wednesday nights. That means we try to eliminate almost all committee meetings. Uh, during that month, it means we eliminate Sunday school, and, and you know we we try to do in August as little as possible while keeping the church functioning at a, at a rested level. We get this, of course, from God's idea of Sabbath. I'll be reading from Genesis chapter one, verses thirty-one, one uh, thirty-one to chapter two, verse three. God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it He rested from all the work of creating that He had done. God created a universe. He created a world. He created everything in that world, and then He created us. And then it says He rested. And in the Hebrew, the word literally means he stopped, he ceased, he ceased from his creative work, he stopped doing what he was doing, and he liked the idea so much. He said, "I'm going to share it with my creation. I'm going to share it with humanity. They should rest too. They should cease from work too." And to show how serious he was about it, he made it one of the pillars of the Ten Commandments. We are to observe the Sabbath. And the first component of Sabbath observation is that we rest as God rested. We cease from work as God ceased from work. Now, rest is not just a good idea; it is essential for our emotional, physical, mental, uh, and, and spiritual health. Rest is not optional for us. You can take a pill for a lot of things. I like Ron White, the uh, uh, country comedian. He said, "You." There's pills for all kinds of things, but there's not a pill for stupid. There just isn't. There's other things there's not a pill for. One is sleep deprivation. You can't take a pill and make up for eight hours of lost sleep. You cannot take a pill and have eight hours of rest infused into you. You can't take a pill that infuses you with something as basic as rest. You can take a, a you know, that things that uh, ease exhaustion. You can caffeinate yourself up. You can take five-hour energy stuff. You can drink coffee all day. I even know of some preachers that drink two or three Mountain Dews every Sunday morning, and have the gall to call it liquid anointing. I've heard rumors about that. But the only way to rest is to rest. The only thing you can do about sleep is to sleep. There are no substitutes for such things, and we live in a sleep-deprived nation. Recent studies show that most of us need seven, eight, nine, nine hours of sleep, and we are not getting it. And it is spreading even into the teenage population. I saw on the news the other week that right now there are high schools that are creating sleep rooms. 
because so many students are coming sleep deprived. There's no use even trying to teach them. And so they, they, when they are falling asleep at their desks, they just say, get up and go to the sleep room. And it's spreading. Where was that when I was in high school? Man. Anyway, it's getting scary. And it affects us at every level. How many car accidents are because of sleep deprivation? How much inefficiency at work? How many just plain stupid mistakes? How about no energy for the things that are truly important? Things that shouldn't happen that happen and things that should happen that don't because we are not rested. And the research is just keeps coming in. They are now linking the lack of sleep with obesity. They are now linking it with high blood pressure and strokes. They are now linking it with heart disease. If you get eight hours of sleep uh, regularly, you are blessed, but your ranks are shrinking. Apparently, we do not value rest very much in North America, but we need the Sabbath. We need regular rest. Jesus said we were not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. More importantly, real rest involves letting go of things and especially letting go of our worries. Nothing drains us like ongoing anxiety. Nothing saps us like living in fear. Your soul becomes drained when you live in these constant states. It creates soul fatigue. Let me give you some of the symptoms of soul fatigue. One is impatience. Things bother you more than they should. You just get a little bit cranky and stay there. Little things you usually let be little become big. You're angry and often you don't know why. Another sign of soul fatigue is that it's hard for you to prioritize. It's hard for you to make decisions. Your brain stays in a fog. Everything is complicated. Everything seems hard all the time. Another indicator your soul is running on empty is that temptation seems stronger. Short-term gains that have long-term cost don't seem stupid to you right now. Your addiction seems like a good idea. Your heart wants things it knows it will regret later. But the temptations seem okay just this once. Your judgment suffers and you drift. God seems distant. Spiritual things don't excite you or seem real to you. When we worry long enough, when anxiety remains unchecked for too long, faith diminishes. Your soul dries up. Sabbath provides a space between us and our problem so we can let go of our worries and give them to God. What Sabbath tells us is that sometimes the greatest act of faith you can do is to do nothing. Do nothing at all and give it to God. Sometimes the greatest act of faith is letting God handle what you are handle, handling in a lousy manner right now. Sometimes the greatest act of faith is stepping back and let, let God run the world, including yours, instead of worrying all the time. The psalmist writes in Psalm 127 these familiar words. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. And here's the part we usually miss. 
In vain you rise up early. In vain you stay up late toiling for food to eat. For the Lord grants sleep to those he loves. Why? Because in his presence we can let go of things. The opposite of faith is worry. Worry that gets us up early and keeps us up late. Worry that says my efforts are what matters, not God's grace or God's care. Real faith leads us to going to bed at a decent hour and getting up at a decent hour because God grants sleep to those he loves. Unless, of course, you are a mother with a newborn child, which is rare around here. Uh, actually, I think we, we keep having babies. I think there are seven women pregnant in this church right now. Or, you know, you're... you're uh, you're a male and getting up there in age and you need to, you never, something awakens you several times a night. Anyway, <laughs> real rest depends on confidence and trust in God and confidence and trust that are deeply rooted in the conviction is that God is good and that God is in charge. If you don't believe that, there's no rest. It's not possible. If God works all things for good, for those who love him and are called to his purposes, guess what? You can rest. And if he doesn't, you're toast anyway. If God can take any mess, any mess, mishap, any mistake, any anything, and choreograph it into beauty and meaning, then you can rest. And if he can't, you better get busier than you've ever been. Either God's always at work watching the city and building the house or you are in trouble. Either God is good or in control, or it all depends on you and your toast. Rest means I believe God watches over me and mine. Sabbath means I believe that God can run the world even when I'm off duty. Real faith leads to rest. There's a direct correlation between those two things. The second aspect of Sabbath, the writer in Genesis talks about, is says that God looked at all he had made, and it was good. In other words, God looked at his creation, and he went, I, I did well. He appreciated it, valued it, and he wants us to do the same. Louis Agassiz, Harvard's renowned biologist, returned one September to his classroom and announced to his students that he had spent the summer traveling. And they asked him, where did you go? What countries did you see? Did you take a cruise? And he informed them that this summer, I got halfway across my backyard. It took him three months to get halfway across his yard, looking at the wonders of nature in his backyard. Looking at the grass, looking at the flowers, the trees, the insects, the birds. Looking at it, really, really looking at it and the wonders of it all. What have we missed? Because we are too busy or too tired to notice. What miracles have we gotten used to because our eyes have grown dim? All of creation points us to the creator. All of creation was meant to create wonder and awe. Are you paying attention to what's right in front of you that is miraculous? That's one of the things Sabbath calls us to do. A third lesson of Sabbath we see in Genesis is God reflecting on the creation he had made. 
It says he took stock. He stepped back. It is important regularly in our lives to step back in order to gain perspective on life. Sabbath calls us to slow down and reflect. We live in a society that has a disease that our society doesn't recognize it's a disease. I call it hurry sickness. It's a disease of the soul, and it has symptoms. When you have worry, hurry sickness, you find yourself rushing even when there's no reason to rush. Do you, anybody relate to that? I mean, I, to be honest, if I'm really confessing this morning, the most unchristian times in my life are when I am behind the wheel of a car. It hurts my motor to go so slow. Now, actually, I'm not that much in a rush. It's all those slow people in front of me. I resent them. Get out of my way. Another sign of hurry sickness is an underlying tension that causes sharp words or, or quarrels. You're always on edge because you're always stressed getting somewhere. You may even set up mock races like, okay, kids, let's see who can take the bath the fastest. Did you ever play that? which was really about your own need to get through it quickly. And, of course, you sense a loss of gratitude and wonder. Who's got time for that? Who's paying attention to that stuff? And you indulge in self-destructive escapes from fatigue, alcohol, or watching too much TV, or listening to country music. It's awful. <laughs> Hurry lies behind much of the anger and frustration of modern life. If you weren't in a hurry, how much more pleasant would you be? Hurry prevents us from receiving love from God and passing it around. We must become unhurried people if we want to have any depth in our spiritual life. You can't go deep with God and be in a hurry. One writer who was friends with Dallas Willard said that, Dallas pointed out to him one time that there's a world of difference between being busy and being hurried. Busy is an outward condition, a condition of the body. It occurs when we have many things to do. Busyness is inevitable in modern culture. It really is. If you are alive today in North America, the overwhelming odds is you're a busy person. There are limits to how much busyness you can tolerate, so we wisely find ways to slow down wherever we can. We take vacations, we read books, we eat le leisurely meals with friends. By itself, busyness is not lethal, but being hurried is. It's an inner condition, a condition of the soul. It means to be so preoccupied with myself and my agenda that I am unable to be fully present with God, with myself, with other people. I am wound too tight all the time. My mind is constantly racing ahead. I'm unable to occupy the present moment because I'm always 10 miles down the road. Busyness migrates to hurry when we let it squeeze God out of our lives and it takes our peace. You cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul and get anything out of it. Jesus was often busy, 
but Jesus was never hurried. How many times was Jesus in front of the masses? And the scriptures tell us when there was so much human need in front of him, he said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. And I'm sure the disciples sometimes scratched their heads in wonderment. But Jesus, what about all the sick people that we didn't get to? But Jesus, what about all the people in, the, in slavery to Satan that we didn't deliver? Jesus, what about all the hungry people we didn't get to feed? There's so much left. And Jesus said, no, it's time to go. He slowed his followers down so that their souls would not become empty or fatigued. We spend most of our time trying to draw crowds and get things done. Jesus seemed to spend much of his time getting away from crowds in order for God to refresh him and fill his soul again so he could be effective in ministry when he went back out. Jesus refused to get in a hurry, even to save the world. To cease from normal activity, from work, to gain perspective, we have to slow down. And when we slow down, God means for us to see what is temporary and what is permanent, what is important and what isn't, what is true and what is false. Sabbath calls us to look at our lives and discern where God has moved and where God is moving. And you can't rush that. We need to come away regularly so we don't get lost in the world's insanity. We need God's perspective, not CNNs, not Foxes, not MSNBC or CBS. We need to hear from God every now and then, don't you think? We need his perspective, his take on the big picture. So often it's easy to get lost in the latest newscast or get lost in the latest election, or get lost in the latest crisis, or get... We have to keep our perspective. I'll share a little of my perspective this morning. A little of my perspective is, is that the Lord has been awfully good to me. I've lived through a lifetime of blessings. I've never lacked for food or shelter. I've been blessed with good health. I have a... A, a wonderful family. You know, I, one of the things I'm, I, I've been thinking about it since Zach's been home. One of the things I'm so grateful for are my three sons. And that they are good people. And that they love the Lord. I want you to know The risk for preacher's kids coming out and loving God and loving the church isn't high. Very often, preacher's kids see their parent crucified, cannibalized. That has never happened here. You've aggravated me, but you haven't eaten me up. <laughs> and I am so thrilled. And by the way, that is a testimony to you. The fact that he considers, my kids consider this church family. Not an obligation, it's family. Thank you for loving my kids and showing them Jesus. By the way, I, I, I do need to announce that I just became a grandfather. 
when my son married Heidika and moved to Norway, I, uh, I got a, a brand new bouncing baby, 11-year-old daughter named Ilmi, and we Skype, and, and, and she speaks to me in Norwegian, and I smile and wave at her like Miss America, and <laughs> whatever, honey, whatever, Grandpa's here. But further, I need to say this. If I lost it all tomorrow, if I got hit in a car crash and I was dying or somebody told me I had a week to live, all I could say after all God has done for me is blessed be the name of the Lord. I have no complaints. God has been more than generous to me. What God has given me, I deserve none of it. It was because of grace and grace alone. It was because of the Father's generosity and generosity alone. Besides that, I can't lose the Lord's best blessings. I can't lose the really good stuff. God's grace is something no one can ever take away from me. God's salvation is something no demon in hell can wrench from my soul. God's forgiveness is something no government edict can ever take away. God's blessings and his spirit cannot be stolen. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And on top of that, when we, when we get out of here, we get to see him face to face. We get resurrection bodies. We get a whole new purpose. We get to reign with him. We get to be drowned in the love of God and saturated with his joy. Sabbath helps me remember these things. It reminds me to take a step back and not lose perspective with the latest newscast. It reminds me to see things from God's point of view, to live in the moment, fully engage with the moment, but to not get lost in the moment. Worship helps us to see God as he gets bigger and bigger. It's helped me to realize again that he is bigger than our problems, bigger than our sins, bigger than our fears, bigger than our narrow agendas. And as God gets bigger, everything else gets smaller and put in its proper perspective. And we gain strength and courage and power. We worship because worship shows us what is real and what isn't. There is no other way than through worship to see just how God big, how big God is in relation to everything else. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Because if we keep it holy, it will keep us holy and whole. Our souls need rest. Our souls crave rest. So if you're going to rest, let me encourage you, really rest. Rest from the things that really ruin life. Rest from the rush. Rest from the hurriedness. Rest from the worry. Rest from the world's insanity. Let God make you whole. Wasn't that Jesus' invitation? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you more work to do. I will give you more assignments. I will run you into the ground. No, come unto me. You know it. You've already said it prematurely, but you said it. <laughs> I will give you rest. Come, let us rest from the things that really, truly wear us out.
Today we're going to have communion. And we're going to have communion in the seats. So I ask the ushers, the servers, to gather themselves as we prepare. We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come, not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Again, we're, we ask you, when you come forward, to exit on the right side of the section you're in and come back in on the left side. You do not have to be a member of the Brethren in Christ Church in order, we just ask that you love the Lord. Uh, if you are allergic to gluten, at, the, at each station there are little plastic bags with gluten-free uh, bread in it that you may partake of. And so let us read the responsive reading together. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. We follow his example. Brothers and sisters, the bread, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Take and eat this bread, remembering that he was born to be our Savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he also took the cup, blessed it, and gave it to his disciples. We do likewise. Brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Take this cup, remembering that he said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, help us this day to remember. Help us this day to reflect. Help us, Lord, to enter into the rest that you have promised us. You do not want us frantically thrashing around in fear and anger because of circumstances or what the world is up to. And so, Lord Jesus, help us to do those things, like this morning, that refresh our souls and give us perspective, your perspective. Help us, Lord Jesus, to feed on you this morning. In your name we ask it. Amen. You may go to your stations. And uh, those on the front row, we begin to take communion.
like the intercessors to come forward we will pray for always we don't want people to leave this place without the opportunity to be prayed for we know people come in here with all kinds of burdens and all kinds of needs so if the intercessors will come forward we ask you to stand and as we conclude this worship service uh, the altar is open
us to make regular cracks in our life where you can come in and heal us and guide us, reveal yourself to us, give us perspective. Lord, heal us of the things that really, really take away life, the worry, the hurriedness, the bitterness, the fear. Lord, help us to rest in you. Rest in your grace, rest in your love, rest in your peace. In your name we ask it. Amen.